Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Exes for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and today we're going to hit all three M's. We're going to kick things off with the second issue of Jerry Duggan's X-Men, then we're going to take a look at Sword Number 7, the second part of Al Ewing's Incredible, The Last Annihilation, before taking a look at Shang-Chi 1 through 3, where we can actually find an amazing new mutant character popping up in a place you might not expect expect. But first things first, this second issue of X-Men featured so many new and kind of amazing ideas. It's hard to believe this series is only on its second issue, in part because we've been talking about it forever. We knew this was coming with the vote, and it's just so exciting to finally talk about it. So here is the second issue of X-Men featuring Nathan, Josh, and Steve. And if you guys like what you hear, you'll probably like what you see. So don't forget to check us out over on YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon at X's for Podcast, where you can even help shape the future of the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our next segment of X's for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, marvels, and magic every week. I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Josh. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L, on Twitter and asleepatthewheel.com. And for the next two years, as the progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in Florida, you can find me across social media at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate, and at joshwheel.org. And uh, I'm Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A, and good to be here. Good morning. Good morning, and what uh, issue we have to cover. So, it's only the second issue of X-Men, and I feel like it has gone on forever in a good way, not like forever in like a, oh my god, is this going to be over kind of way. Before we like jump into the actual issue itself, since this is a fairly new team, and I know I haven't gotten to talk to you guys about it what do you think of the team makeup here like what do you think of the team members are there people that you would have maybe preferred to have been on the team than Lorna winning the fan vote or you know are you happy with that I was not super happy with the makeup originally. It definitely left some questions. I like that it's a unique group, but through two issues, I am already seeing things in it that I am like basically to say that if this is how it was, you're going to construct it, it needed to be done this way to be I think beneficial or give us things the way we're seeing like in this issue Polaris and Sync Polaris and Jean you know there's always been this kind of very slight and underplayed sister-in-law relationship between Jean and Lorna that you know goes way back to the Silver Age issues and and it's just never really there's never really been a relationship established with them and so getting quality time in or out of battle with them is something that I think helps builds and adds to them more. You know, if we're going to get Rogue away from Gambit, then we need to see more of the individual side of them, not just them as that hair that we've had for so long. If we're going to get Sunfire, then like, it's been 50 years now. Like, (laughs) we maybe need a good Sunfire story or something to make us like him eventually. Like... (laughs) 
and and look in two issues Duggan is is starting to give us this like he's giving us a team that feels like it was constructed with purpose that it's covering most bases with the only thing really you know your typical function missing being a teleporter but we're in the Krakoan era of gates so don't need no pesky teleporter yeah but but we're starting to see roles and relationships really develop in a way that that makes these seven make sense because it really had to it had to feel valuable when we had so many characters that we've been clamoring for more of that didn't get into this title oh absolutely agreed yeah yeah i'd agree with uh most of what josh said actually and that was that pretty much sums it up i think there's definitely people i would have rather seen on the team than polaris and there's definitely better makeups for this team like where are the where are the non-human passing mutants on this team uh, with the team that we have, I really, really like how they've been meshing together. It has been really interesting. And I think with the kind of notable exception of Laura, we've gotten to see a lot of the team dynamic in just two issues. Yeah, that's a Laura's a, a good point. Laura has sort of, and I, I know there's got to be stories on the horizon with yeah. Pink and Laura coming up. So like, you know, it's just not yet her time to shine. I talked about this online before, but I would love a really awkward moment where her dad comes out of, you know, Scott and Jean's room at the treehouse, and she's like, oh God, what are you doing here? <laughs> but like, you know, like that would be a fun little awkward moment. Yeah, Laura is definitely the least served, at yeah. least through these first two issues. And it's not it's not just that, because I mean, we're used to like when you go seven deep, someone has to be number seven on page time. Like sure. every issue, someone's going to be number seven on page time. So it's not that it's for me more of the fact that she reads very much in this issue in the exact same way that Jen Walter's She-Hulk is reading in Avengers stuff that I read. Totally. And Ooh, fair it point. is fair that, point. Right. that is so right. Frustrating in all the same ways. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Hit the nail on the head there, Josh. That is exactly my problem with it. And also in the same way as She-Hulk only gets a story when it's in relation to Thor a lot of the time. I am a little worried that Laura is just going to be like an awkward love interest for Sync, which I don't really like that development for either of them. I'm okay with the development because I think it'll help get more focus on Sync, but I'm not okay with it because I think it will, like you were hinting at, conceptualize Laura as a character just over around sync and i don't want laura content just because sync's in it yeah that uh, and like i think sync deserves better than a storyline about you know pining for somebody as well i think they both deserve cooler stories than that but that's just me i oh, think the fair. sync content we got in here was fantastic everett Absolutely. is everett is a good boy like he is the best check out a recent interview with generation x writer jay ferber where we talk about just how good he is <laughs> and getting time with him and really Really fleshing him out because this is a character that's been dead since the first Generation X run. Like this yep. is a character that died during you know the Warren Ellis revolutions, wrapping up the '90s books, late '90s before we get into the uh, Grant Morrison era, and he has just been off the table for 20 years. And so coming back now, you know, there's a lot of growth that was missed here. And then he goes into the vault where you know, so we're talking about a character that has had the least amount of experiences of all of them because he's been off the table for so long. Now he's got hundreds of years of experiences ahead of the others. And 
you know, that quiet moment of him training with Jean and them having those reflections and, and her honest consideration of him and helping him through the um, telepathy and was just so much, so much work done on a positive character so quickly. And I was super excited for that. Um, I love what he's doing with Singh. If this was maybe any other writer on the X line or, or in comics, I would be worried. Jerry Duggan has shown that he can do such a good job giving unique voices and agency to multiple female characters down the line in a book on Marauders that I have to give him faith on this with Laura moving forward, even if I didn't necessarily like what I got for that one character. Honestly, the other six are all thumbs up in this book. Uh, but if I didn't particularly like what, you know, we're getting for seven out of seven on this one, give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Moving forward, there'll be a lot more to explore. It's only the second issue. But as you said, like in this, in two issues, we've already gotten so much cool stuff from Sync and Sunfire and Polaris, characters who don't see the, su- you know, the sunlight super often. Now, I, I, an interesting question about power sets in the team. Do you think having Sync and Rogue on the team, on the same team, is a deliberate attempt to move away from some of the more problematic aspects of Rogue's power? You know, Rogue, unfortunately, to use her mutant ability, has to violate consent over people by touching them right so do you think by letting her focus on her wonder man taking abilities because that's whose power she has now wonder man's for some reason do we think that that's letting rogue move away from that problematic aspect and do you think that maybe the two of them together could help grow her powers to move past that yeah i think you're completely right actually i hadn't thought about that but it makes it makes perfect sense why not have somebody who can do what rogue does without the without any of the negative effects of it really one of the cool things we saw one of the cool things we saw with sync in the generation x run is that very often and this was something that um, featured predominantly in the ferber run we talked about recently but very often when he would sync with characters and explore their powers he would do better or newer unique things he would he would start off better with them or, or work better with their powers than the original mutant did and this was kind of played up and explained and shown not because like you know he was so much better but because as a mutant power develops right when it hits during puberty and there's all the hormones and confusion and there's all the fear and what's going on and that there's like these mental kind of blocks of like being scared or how i can use it or that that there's all these other things like am i gonna hurt someone or you know what if this and and sync goes into it like from the outside like he's analyzing it from the outside and sees it as this toy or something that he can use specifically with purpose. And he does so much more efficiently. And so, you know, he is a great counter in terms of, you know, it really felt like, God, why have we not had a, why have we not had a power mimic or a duplicate, a power duplicator on every single team? Like it's such a, clearly we're seeing the value of it just in this battle here in X-Men 2. And yeah, Rogue is that one a lot of times. And it kind of makes me wonder why we're getting them together here. Um, I do hope, I mean, one of the things that, and this goes back to Claremont era, I love about Rogue is not just when she duplicates a power, but when she combines powers. Like, when you get the, like, 
we need someone as strong as Colossus to teleport in like Nightcrawler. And so yeah. she does like the snatch, snatch, snatch. And then she looks like this weird hybrid Chimera version of like three different mutants and bamps in <laughs> with like Colossus skin and Wolverine claws to like fight something. Like we don't get as much of that anymore as we used to in the 80s. And I love that so much if that can be a thing, because that's totally different from Sync too. Yeah, that absolutely is just the way that he can. I mean, the way that Rogue can combine everything together. It only seems to be able to do the one at a time kind of thing. I don't know. Sync on that promotional cover for Jerry Duggan's X-Men was definitely utilizing all of the X-Men around him's powers at once. See, that I'd love to see his power set be able to expand into because that would be an amazing growth. And it would be totally makes sense for him to learn that ability over 700 years in the vault yeah i'll tell you i'm not entirely sure right now but i think he can already that would have to be one of those learned over time in the vault and mm. power expanded through multiple resurrections and that is a that the resurrection point brings up a, a great little detail right the it has been stated that when mutants resurrect that first time they use their power, they're often able to use it better and maybe not have the same limitations as they did when they were before they died the first time. Yeah, evolving over multiple generations like bacterial culture. I love it. Yes. It's very cool. <laughs> A heightened state of evolution. Now, yeah. Was now, that this book think, or Hellions? Because this book and Hellions paired together so well this week. They did. They did. This seemed like a very important week because Hellions gave us, you know, hint, 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 a hint to chimera and i was <laughs> like this is so good this week oh my god and plus you know the vile locust was like really really fucking sexy for some reason but you <laughs> yeah know. everybody looked at sick bird and was like yeah you, i like that to, please please make sure you bring that up with your therapist this week nathan sick bird was hot she's like spit on me daddy and i was like okay <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I like Hex Butcher walks in and is like, I ate your hams, yum yum. So you're not talking, just, just to be clear, you're not talking about amino fetus. No, I no, mean, no, 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 no. I, I don't personally find amino fetus hot. I, Sick Bird was had all the really hot lines. And like, there was some Essex on Essex seduction techniques when he's like, hey, baby, I got something to show you. And he's like, ha ha, what do you have that I want to see? Chimera. That was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just real quick. Essex. Sure said it like that. So similar to like what we saw from Loki, that Loki's so narcissistic, the only person he could fall in love with is himself on the TV show. Essex totally has Essex orgies, right? Oh, he's totally Essex sexual. That's the sexuality. Like, is just he's, Yes, he is. Sin I, you know what? Now that you said that, we have had this conversation before on here. He is sinister sexual. That's that is the term it. we yes. came up with last time. We're having a, yes. uh, a, a X of Words podcast up about this pretty soon. And I think this is going to be the conclusion, generally speaking. I don't think sinister fucks outside of himself. <laughs> He is in a committed relationship with his clones, point blank. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, a mostly torture relationship. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. He's got total, total torture kink. Total torture kink. But with with Hellions, uh, you know, introducing actual chimeras in there and the X-Men this week in one issue taking down an annihilation wave, like, you know, we're really beginning to see what the Krakoans can actually accomplish, yeah. especially when you are using mutant technology like Sync really put into full effect this week. It was such a flex to have that quote from Dick Ryder at the top of the book you know him just you talking said Dick about Ryder. How, i did i said his name <laughs> nova and, 
I love that they have just this little quote he from being like, he I gave my life. It took everything I had and it killed Aren't me. We and all? then the X-Men are like, let's have barbecue. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. Steve Steve <laughs> that is his name. No, <laughs> He's it is, a wonderful space bisexual and we should, give him, we should give him his name. Yeah. Everybody should always refer to Nova as Dick Rider. That is yeah. that is his preferred name. He is now Dick like Kitty is Kate. So yeah. let's, R- Ricky Rider is also acceptable. Ricky <laughs> um, so let's actually start jumping into the issue now that we've talked about a little bit of, you know, some backstory stuff. So the opening page is something straight out of the 90s to me. You have a card party. You have a card game. And of course, Ben Grimm is there. Of course. Always. Right? And then you've got Felicia Hardy. And then of all people, Rhino's there. And uh, Rogue has to come in and bust up Gambit's game in the basement and break out all three of his fancy names. Like, were you guys just in as much love seeing this scene as I was? Or did this like really strike a really particular nostalgic note for me and not for you? I really liked it. I didn't know Gambit had my my name for his middle name. That's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. It, it hit the 90s vibe so well. Because like you said, Ben Grimm was always at every card table. Whoever yes. was playing cards in the 90s, like He's on these scenes. He's a gambler. <laughs> I, I also love, though, that the idea that, and I don't know if this is in, I don't remember ever reading it, but it totally makes sense to me that Gambit and Black Cat would be friends on the side. Yeah. Stealing. Oh, yeah, they're um, probably both thieves, so. Yes. Sneaking into her treehouse in New York to gamble on cards with Rhino and Black Cat is very refreshing and much more in line with the character we love than, I think, the full scope we've, you know, we have not gotten full scope from him in Excalibur yet. That's fair to say yes. and i think it's nice to see that because rogue is on the x-men that just uh, that doesn't just mean that we won't be seeing her with remy anymore they clearly can visit each other all the time they live together this actually feels like gambit you know it, it was it was that charming debonair scoundrel that we all know and love and to just to just the scene itself was like probably like my favorite gambit seen since uh, Mr. and Mrs. X even. So like, I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Kelly Thompson gave them that like long-term couple, like I love you so much, but I will annoy the shit out of you edge so well that definitely was missing from teenies. It was just the, I love you so much without any of that, like working each other's nerves, which made it feel a little less authentic. But so now this is, yeah, like this is, this is what we've missed. So, you know, after that little startup page, we are brought again to Game World, where we're we're finding out that, you know, wave after wave of aliens are, are betting on trying to take down Earth in some manner. This overarching arc of the story could be fascinating. I do like the idea of the Krakoans having to deal with, you know, these extraterrestrial threats to actually give them something big and meaningful to rally the humans behind them with. But do we think that the team taking on whole annihilation wave seemed or was presented in a very 
realistic way for that team because obviously in the annihilation event we saw how out of control annihilation waves can get i think that the whole town would have been consumed before they got there honestly i was i i found that a little hard to buy but I also found yeah. it a little weird that it would be in a bottle rather than coming from the negative zone. It it seemed it seemed to kind of I, I don't want to make this sound like it's derogatory, but it kind of is. It's kind of a Jason Aaron of it, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I liked this issue a lot. But like, it's it's definitely playing fast and loose with the idea of what we know of an annihilation wave, right? Yeah. yeah. It, now it, this is the same game world that was introduced at the beginning of Empire, like in the Fantastic Four prequel Empire Zero thing. Is that uh, my right on is that? Is this that place? Oh my god, I forgot. Uh, I totally forgot on. that that was a thing. You know what? I am gonna go to the best like resource. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel. Like I, I'm not super excited about that part. Marte Gracia draws one hell of a motherfucking annihilation wave. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. The fact that like seven X Men had time to, and they they weren't Krakoan portaling. Like they didn't Krakoan portal there. They flew in a fucking plane, and it hadn't. It was moving so fast, but didn't get to the town. In, in space, yet. it would And they changed their empires. clothes and everything. And, and then an annihilation wave that, you know, we've seen in major events takes, like, the whole fucking universe to get together and stop. And I'm all for, like, yes, mutant magic and mutant technology makes them stronger. But that these seven wiped one out um, fairly easily was a little... Yeah, it, yeah. it felt <laughs> like it either overpowered them or underpowered an annihilation wave like i don't they warped annihilus <laughs> yeah it did seem to it seemed a little it seemed a little sus where <laughs> the, right? I, it's definitely it's definitely yes. that that flex from the the opening quote but it's taken to such an extreme that it's it's it stretches the bounds of disbelief even in an x-men comic which is kind of incre- incredible to say given that like two months ago they terraformed mars <laughs> yeah. and we're like but i don't know if i buy this so something you mentioned made me totally mention I didn't do the credits. So made me totally realize I didn't do the credits. So let me throw this in right now. So just so we know, we're obviously covering X-Men 2. Our writer is Jerry Duggan. Pepe Loraz is our artist who does an amazing combo with Marte Gracia, our color artist. And VC's Clayton Cowles is the letterer. So that is our overall team for this issue. And I have to say the mutant magic between this team Team is almost as great as the mutant magic between the X-Men themselves. So <laughs> I'm digging it. The the way the colors and the art work together and even the lettering for the amazing alien languages is so cool and foreign. It just all pops together with the, you know, with the great writing style that he's got. So, so speaking of uh, mutant magic and the creative team, uh, we did see Jerry Duggan make a cameo in this. And I think people have pointed out yes. that the guy next to him is probably Pepe Larraz. There's also a local named Clay early on that I thought might be Clayton Cowles, but I have no hmm. idea what Clayton Cowles looks like. Fair. Wow. I, I love it. And I know Vita, they showed up in one of the issues too, or they are showing up if they haven't showed up already. So I do kind of love the little nods to the human creative teams showing up in the books too. Yeah, that's always fun for me. 
It is. Yeah. Uh, so this this arc or this issue itself is huge on the idea of you know mutant magic, mutant technology, mutant synergies, however you want to call it. Was there a power team up that surprised you more than others? For me, I'll personally say just the idea that Morna and Jean can sync their powers in such a new way after 50 years of publication together <laughs> was fascinating to me and I liked the way that they were it seemed believable the way they were able to get the memories from a dead individual by combining like MRI technology with telepathy. Yeah that was some real Stanley S like working around with the magnets <laughs> plus telepathy equals MRI I love it it's that's yeah. really good I mean it was much better than the magnets can do anything uh well, science logic of the silver age well you say that but here <laughs> this is actually one of the things that i was like not sh- i was kind of shaking bulletproof why the bullets that- bounce off of his magnetic field <laughs> Florida does pick up like 20 i guess tree trunks or <laughs> pieces of timber and i'm just looking at them i'm like these should be metal these should be metal why aren't these metal pipes it's really i did wonder about that she did she has she has uh susan richards powers in this issue and i'm just like everything is metal everything is metal (laughs) this was a very metal episode yeah but no no i i I do oh god you're right they are wood yeah yeah. i mean sure like magnetism isn't everything that's true and i guess no she doesn't pick them up they teamwork she snaps the chain and jean picks them up did she i thought that polaris was picking it up because she does all sorts of i thought you know what on first on first read i thought she picked them up and so i just assumed that they were in tree trunks they had to have been some kind of like concrete and rebar our pillars and now looking back on it you're right they are tree trunks but the green magic the green effects are around the chain snapping the pink effects are around the movement of the logs all right but also like the force fields i mean i know magneto does that too but i'm like lorna does no no specifically metal related mutant work in this issue (laughs) besides maybe that chain there that is fair the magnetic force fields has always been a little that's always been science yes that is that is some classic silver age um magnet science and honestly i like that i'm completely cool with that as, as right. long as you know snaps the chain man i thought she picked up that timber you're so right <laughs> no, it, no yeah I, I didn't even notice it that way until you said that josh because although isn't that a little bit of a of underuse of lorna's power to snap yes. a chain <laughs> I, I think it's kind of cool though that actually makes me feel so much better about this issue i retract my statements because the fact that lorna comes <laughs> to a she comes to defeat the annihilation wave with a cup of coffee in her hands and she is just like here i'm helping snap just breaks a little chain and that's it and that that tracks that's that. yeah that's good character work yeah i take it all I, I, I love how they are towards the end of the issue they are knee deep in the annihilation bugs her and Jean and Lorna has her sunglasses on the top of her head just like such a perfect oh, throughout Lorna most moment. of the issue yeah I know it's just it's like at that point I would be like hey cool I'm gonna put my sunglasses on so they don't fall off but like no Lorna doesn't need them they're made of metal she can find where they are you know but I do like this calm cool sure of herself versus 
version of Lorna that we have presented in this that we got given to us from uh, Leah Williams X Factor. So I love that at least that is going to be taken forward from the X Factor run. And we are going to get a confident Lorna who is learning how to take charge of herself as a superhero and not just the daughter of Magneto. Yeah. I want to give you my Lorna take real quick. So this goes way back. Like this is just like a long time with Lorna now. And it like I'm thinking of someone very specific when I say this, but it is something that I have seen and witnessed many times. And so if you think of you've ever known someone and you meet them and they are in a relationship and they are relationship person right so similar to like the way we've only been seeing gambit in um excalibur and you know particularly with females so in you know hetero relationships and you know just you get kind of this like clingy i'm the white cute like always subservient to like the husband and it's so fucking annoying and like you know you meet these people and and again i'm trying not to describe someone too specifically like from my past but then when they come out of that relationship like so you know you find out that like it had been an abusive relationship no major surprise and now you get to see like the real free version of them like this liberated emancipated like shackles off oh my god this is the real person that had just been suffocating and you know we were seeing the front that they put up to protect themselves in public and it's always when I see Lorna or read Lorna it always makes me think of like like these women in some of these situations and and one just so harshly and strongly in particular where like we have gotten her as like the girlfriend in toxic relationships so fucking much that she just needs to break free and get that and I feel like we've gotten the beginning of it a couple times but that those runs have never lasted long enough to really take us to like a new established status quo for her and i'm thinking specifically of like peter david's all new x factor yes i was thinking of that and and now x now the leah williams x factor which are probably two of the best takes on her but they just didn't they got to feature her in that kind of you you know her own agency free of the shackles of fucking bad relationships but ended prematurely And so I'm really hoping that we do finally get to see her established and built here because it's a book that's big enough and is going to be successful enough that we shouldn't have to fear or worry about. I mean, unless the team's just going to get shuffled every 12 fucking issues Um, that hopefully, you know, we do have her in this long enough to 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 set a new status quo of, of what this character is free of the past and as her own awesome, unique person. I would love that Lorna has very much suffered from I don't even know how else to put it, but like Silver Age women character syndrome where they just like throw a whole bunch of horrible bad shit at the women characters because I don't know, men. But like, right. And so then she like, got the only thing worse than that, which is being written by Chuck Austin. Uh, being a character written by Chuck Austin, which is the only thing worse than that. And so she's had just the super compounded shit fest. Yeah. Because yeah, that was probably the Peter worst. David is not something I'd wish on any woman either. <laughs> 
Yeah, I yeah. At the time, it didn't seem as as bad, but there was it it ain't not to <laughs> not to defend Peter David, but his actual what happened to Lorna during his run was nowhere near as bad as what happened to uh, her during a lot of runs. Because I mean, you know, let's just look at her history, right? So she starts off, she's just like a side girlfriend to Bobby, who's tricking to think she's, she's Magneto's daughter by Mesmero and a Magneto robot. Okay, that's horrible. That's crappy. So then you get her, you know, leaving the team, hooking up with Alex. So in that sense, she can't even exist as a character on her own. She just has to be a woman in a relationship. So Mm -hmm. she pops back up and she's brainwashed by Eric the Red, which, you know, if that was the only time she was brainwashed or her mind was taken over, you know, that wouldn't be so bad. It's comics, right? But that starts a succession of... You know, we've got Eric the Red taking brainwashing her taking over. Then we've got uh, Malice, you know. So So many fucking times, Malice. Yes, like Malice multiple times. Mm -hmm. And then, oh my God, she finally breaks free of Malice. Oh, hey, you know what's coming now? Like the same issue she gets to Muir Island, the Shadow King. And the Shadow King, like... She does. When you go back and read that, she goes straight from fucking escaping Malice in 250-251. Yep. Reappearing and being taken to a Muir Island that is already held by the Shadow King in, like, 255 Not not a good time for Lorna. Yep. That is her next appearance. She goes straight from Malice, like, psycho-abduction to Shadow King psycho-abduction. No fucking joke. It's like something with both her and Alex is just being possessed is, like, their whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Alex, Alex has been through it too, but like, you know, so that's why, that's why like, you know, I, I know there are people who love Pat's run and there's people who hate anything Pat does. And, and I get that. It's, it's, there's, there's, there are certain things that he has done and said that people don't resonate with. So I totally understand that. But that's why as much as I don't want to be a defender of that, Pat's run with Lorna was probably one of the uh, more how do I say it the more like actually generic superhero runs with her in it because then once you get to the whole Chuck Austin thing he blows up Lorna's instabilities or you know mental issues to just a level that you know is the personification of why some men should never write women at all oh yeah I mean honestly Chuck Austin should probably just not write comics but (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Peter David gave yeah, Lorna he's a prominence. He's on the creative team really of She-Ra, which is just a entirely, it's a show consisted entirely of strong female characters. And it seeing his name on the credits never fails to break my brain. What show is this? She-Ra. Wait, 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 what? He's, he's a, on the creative team of She-Ra. Are it's there like multiple Chuck Austin's? Seems like it's a comedy. Nope, it's the same one. <laughs> Wait, you just blown my mind here. That's like I can't, I cannot. My brain, ref- the cognitive dissonance is too strong. My brain cannot put those together. But it is, a, it is true. The exact same Chuck Austin, who is responsible for some of the worst female representations in X Men comics, is responsible for some of the best female representations. Not solely responsible, but part of the team responsible in Shira. Wait, Chuck Austin, who had Lorna put on a Magneto helmet and go. I 
I don't even know how to say this, but go crazy after Alex turned her down at the wedding, who had Paige fuck Warren in front of her over her mom in the sky. Who that had She Hulk fuck Austin. Juggernaut while he was her client. Yeah. That Chuck that Austin Chuck was Austin. involved in She-Ra? Huh. Yes. Maybe he was involved huh. in something completely unrelated to people existing as women. <laughs> so I, I do I going back to Pad, I, I am someone who likes the pad stuff more than others. I, I am not a like fuck you, it's great. Um there are some things that are problematic, but <laughs> You know, yeah. I, I do I, I do try to grade it a little more in context that, you know, he was addressing things that were could only be addressed by a cishet white male in times when cishet white males were the only voices and no other cishet white male was attempting to address them. Yeah, and understandable. If but he didn't do them great, he was the only one stepping out there attempting to mean well. Um, so I, I, I do try to, you know, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, I have enjoyed most of his x-men stuff and yeah his all new x-factor i think was the gold standard on lorna representation until this and number 14 the girls day out one with lorna wanda and danger out at the renaissance fair is probably oh, that was still my issue. favorite lorna issue ever it's so fucking good and it holds up i've read it recently it, it has not been tarnished by time yet mm-hmm. um so we've gotten we've got like a continuation of a strong uh accomplished lorna who is able to use their powers in you know kind of new fantastic ways which is amazing after 50 years and we are getting more representation of a character who has been around since giant size x-men one in sunfire and who has always been the i think the joke in one of the x-men yearbooks they had was sunfire would be the most likely to get an incomplete credit because he shows up and like three issues later he's gone so sunfire favorite thing to do is quit teams <laughs> he's Not done it more often than, he's, he's done it more often than karma has gone to look for her sisters and brothers yeah he's, he's breaking tradition though sunfire's a joiner these days it seems a run that i enjoyed but a lot of the x community did not featured him heavily the uncanny avengers run which is probably outside of kelly thompson's and what dugan is doing now is probably my favorite iteration of rogue because she became oh well and that's that's uncle jerry here yeah yes 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 it is and that's why sunfire and her on the same team kind of makes sense to me right because so and that's why there were so many references to the uncanny avengers itself in this x-men 2 issue which was really cool for me to see because like i love that run because i love the characters that were on it rogue became a strong a strong leader she really kind of grew in that but i was talking about sunfire so sunfire got some great moments in this and in that uncanny avengers run it's self uh where are you guys with the great characterization of why sunfire decided to join the team and become an x-man do you think it fit with that character and are you psyched to see more uh, I just I like the idea of him trying something new. I think is the main thing for it because it it doesn't feel like it's necessarily like oh I joined this then I joined that and then I served this then I served that. I think Sunfire has always been in the interest of something greater than himself. It's usually you know like Japan, but it's nice to see that it's something the entire world over. I, I think it was it, it's it's a little strange to be like well Krakoa is a nation when Krakoa for mutants is so much more than a nation, right? But it is it is nice to see him saying like well I'm going to try something new in this 
new era. It's a time for change and Sunfire changes with it. But that makes sense to him see it as a nation because the way his character was always done before, yes, his nation is Japan, but like he was all about going all in for his nation. So, mm-hmm. you know, Krakoa to so many mutants is a place of safety and a place of refuge. And, you know, maybe just the way Sunfire sees the world, it's it's his new nation. It's his new place to, you know, yes, he can be safe and have refuge there, but he's never really been interested in that. So I, I kind of like that. I dig it. So yeah. I'm I'm just going to say that Sunfire is a bad character. Um, Sunfire has been around for 50 years. And what we got on page 16 and the top of page 17 in this issue is the most character work that has been done on him in 50 years. The reason yeah. why I think a lot of us were not excited to see Sunfire in this is because historically there is nothing to be excited about with Sunfire. He's a jerk and he quits and that's his thing. Th- those are his those are his primary mutant powers is that he's a <laughs> jerk who quits. His secondary mutation is that he has Sunfire powers. Um, what we got from him here, what Jerry laid out and did for him and particularly the bottom of 16 with, you know, having always served a powerful interest with the goal of self-enrichment, watching our world in Iraqo transform, I stand before for you wishing only to be of service and then just feeling awkward as Kansas dude wants him to stay for dinner and Gene giving him the little telepathic thing that they also wish to serve Shiro and like the facial expression that like he's getting it and him you know agreeing to stay and be a part of things that he doesn't get or don't necessarily serve him like this is a major corner turn and development for a character that hasn't been given any of this in 50 years this is the most three-dimensional and human and real he has ever been and i mean he's because he's been such a poorly written character he's been an easy one to shit on and throw into bad spots and like i'm thinking particularly of like ivx and death of x right now when you know it's like well we need characters to do bad things and fuck things up let's throw sunfire in because no one will give a shit if we you know besmirch the good name of sunfire (laughs) well don't forget the time that they 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 sidelined him for a long time because they gave permanently gave Rogue his powers. So yeah, was that in the Jerry Duggan run? That was uh, was it nineties two thousand? It was like two thousand. No, there were the other Sunfires and things too, and it's 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 never been done. The nine, yeah, but no, this this was the best. This was the thing when I finished this issue. The thing that I, I wanted to kind of knowing I was on this in this room talking about this issue this week. The thing I, I was most excited to talk about was what Jerry did in a page and a half for Sunfire that no other writer has done in 50 years. And I, that was the big thing that stood out most to me. Like there were the, the Sink and Jean and Sink and Lorna and Lorna and Jean and some of these power dynamics and the movements, the Gambit card scene at first, the, the beautiful um, Pepe Larraz art on the Annihilation Wave. Like there were a bunch of other things that were great about this issue. But I mean, the fact that by issue two, Jerry's got us all on the sunfire train is pretty impressive yeah it seems like gene might be on the sunfire train as well <laughs> really enjoying that dirty uh, well i mean it is a nice it. view yeah. that she's looking at like it is a nice view from behind so like i can i can dig it i can dig it yeah i think everybody can dig that i think scott is probably realizing that as well yeah well i mean you know they don't have logan with them now so like at this at the treehouse so you know maybe shiro can be the third for when logan can't come over <laughs> But so um, how 
So there's been some differing views of how humans are reacting and responding to Krakoa, which actually, when you look at it, is very much more real than all the humans being like, no, fuck mutants, mutant scum die. In this issue, and also the other week in New Mutants 20, where Vita, they have uh, the New Mutants rescue a new mutant kid from a from a situation, and they think the town folk is trying to get them, but the humans want to protect the kid. This has also a very positive spin, where the humans just want to thank the mutants for saving their town, and let's get them some dinner. How are we feeling about this very but like I said, more real way of presenting human reactions to Krakoa and mutants. I thought it was specifically nice to see like small town Kansas people not treated as just hostile rednecks uh, in a comic book. So that was kind of cool. It makes me wonder about the kind of NIMBY sense of it, um, you know, not in my backyard and by segregating themselves and taking themselves out of human culture and society, right? Does that make those interactions more exotic and acceptable as guests because people don't have to live with like in terms of what it's saying about different cultures mm. and, you know, minority groups being able to live in you know so like, like let's just replace it let's say mutants are a metaphor for black people or gay people right and so you know the black people and gay people that they're representing here or the mutants that used to live in kansas and had a hell of a time being fucking discriminated against mm -hmm. now that they've moved out and they're not having to live with them like is that supposed to be a positive good thing like are we is this pro segregation that like by mutants segregating themselves and not intermixing with humans they're getting paused like i had some i like the sweet sentiment of it but there's definitely some kind of larger issue statements we're making here that i'm not all in on That's okay thing to note i was not under the impression that all mutants had left kansas you know like the gates are still there people are presumably constantly traveling back and forth to see family and friends who they had before the krakowin era i've never thought that it ne you necessarily had to be like no, I'm only on Krakoa. I don't come back. No, yeah, you, you, from the way it's been presented, there are certain groups of mutants who would go back and forth. Like, I think probably the most famous example would be uh, Firestar, right? We've seen Firestar on the island, but I, I really don't think Firestar lives on the island, right? I don't think and, she lives on the island because we yeah. would see her more. And Pete Wisdom would, certainly didn't until he had to. Yeah. Wisdom represents another sect of mutants who wanted nothing to fucking do with Krakoa. Like, Wisdom, Wisdom oh, wow. and fucking Vance Astro. Like, oh. Anyway, wisdom. I want an issue Astro. where Emma um, asked the Quiet Council to approve resurrecting Firestar's horse for her. Oh, <laughs> resurrecting a horse. Oh, <laughs> have the serum or butter <laughs> You know, I'm all for it because maybe it might get people to shut up about how Emma Frost killed a horse. <laughs> I swear to God, I, hear I left that out when <laughs> I talked about like. Horse. I talked about like the major stories that established Emma Frost's character pre-Generation X. Um, and yeah, I left that out. Um, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was bad. It was awful. I'm, I'm not going to defend everything that she's done, but like 
you know, if there's if there's things we're gonna be upset about, Emma doing, I'd be more I'm more upset about the body swap with Storm. I'm also and the implications, upset about that. That, and the implications behind that and what Emma did in Storm's body with Sebastian, even though Sebastian was really an abuser, and, and there's a, there's a, it's a lot more complex than just saying like Emma was just oh, yeah, horrible and bad good. for that. But like, yeah, out of all the things Emma did, people want to focus on Butterroom. And I'm like, okay, like I, I love Emma and I'm not an apologist for everything that she's done in her life. She's done what she thought she needed to do at the time. But, you know, yeah. like, God a, damn it, people. It's Butterroom. It's a horse. Okay, let it go. I mean, she does have seem to have picked up quite the horse riding habit now that she's on Krakoa. I feel like maybe that's an attempt of hers to get a little closer to uh, the horse. So I, I guess going back to mutants who would still live in Kansas and don't, it, it goes along to something that um, was brought up earlier in this episode, which is that um, all seven of the characters in this issue who are the, you know, representatives of mutant kind in the big New York treehouse are passing. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. So, you know, are they welcome to dinner because, you know, this team isn't Anole and Nightcrawler and Chamber and Eyeboy and like, like would would they be and yeah, be like, would they be invited? <clears throat> to to Kansas barbecue. Um, I think I would like to see the answer to that. For sure. And and also like you know if if I had to guess or subject like who are the ones that are living on Krakow and who are the ones who are commuting? You know, I'm gonna that's guess the- that the ones who pass are the ones more comfortable commuting, and you know the the ones who don't are the ones who want to you know sleep safely on Krakow. You know that's such an interesting meta commentary on this X Men run itself because it is Jerry Duggan who invites all these passing mutants to the barbecue, which he did by putting them all as the only characters on this book very interesting hmm now i wonder if we're looking in world i wonder because this has been brought up in vita's new mutants run as well i wonder if there is a internalized bias among the krakowans themselves to favor human passing mutants more than they would the more mutated mutants and it seems like by electing this team in universe there is as well yeah well you look at the makeup of the quiet council it's also mostly passing mutants as well with the exception yeah, of like sinister and exodus and mystique and like the the least human passing members on this team are rogue and lorna just because they have different hair color <laughs> 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 Which nowadays everybody dyes their hair, so that's not even like that's like even more human. Hey, Scott has to wear I mean, special where glasses. Where is? Okay? I, I still want back Nightcrawlers. I want Nightcrawlers non-passing mutant support group from Domino. Like, <gasps> yes, that was amazing. I need that revisited. Um, yeah, Gail Simone did like such a good job by including that in that Domino run. Oh, that was Gail. Oh, that was that was such of a good. Of course, it was Gail Simone. What's up? Of course, it was Gail Simone. Right, that created team on that book was gail simone and david baldion like oh my god that's an amazing team and the way like you know like some some teams get along pretty well the way gail consistently still even to this point online will gush over david like it's it's just amazing so i love i love i love anytime we can bring up domino (laughs) but even domino domino would be great because domino is non-human domino is human shaped but non-human passing because of her skin tone so like at least a little variety there would help yeah. So that that kind of brings me a last question, and then I'll have you guys answer any like you know ask for any things you want to follow up. But to add a non-human passing member to the team, who would be your guys' choice? Glob. 
Glob is, Glob is Glober, so not like that, but like I want a better mutant on the team. If that makes <laughs> I was sense. like, what's his power no. really like to like gel? <laughs> he's, I would love he's, to see um, I would love he's to see like Bobby from King of the Hill. He's Bobby from King of the Hill, like running up to his dad. You know, and, you know, Hank's dreaming. Dad, Dad, I made the X Men, and then he wakes up and it's Dad, Dad, I made the X Men brownies. That's Glob. <laughs> oh my God, that is. Oh. Yeah, I'd love to see an Iraqi mutant. I'd love to see like Sabinar oh, yeah. hanging out on the X Men for a bit just to trade with Storm. Something, something cool like that. Um, Ash brought up Transonic the other day on Twitter, and now all I can think of is how cool Transonic would be on an X Men team. It's actually a really cool idea. Non passing, uh, just super rad powers. See, I'm I'm struggling to see who I would want, and she's barely non-human passing, and I just can't. Um, but I'll say Cat's Eye because she's always got the tail. Cat's Eye would be great. She's always got slightly deformed human features because you Cat's know Cat's Eye doesn't want to be passing. Cat's Eye is more comfortable in her feline form than yeah. But Cat's Eye Absolutely. is a cat. Absolutely, Cat's Eye was a cat. She was like raised as a cat, and like she grew up as a cat, and she's like, oh fuck, I'm a human, I guess. Uh, we could have Feral come back and have a try. Oh, you can't. Feral is not. You can't bring Feral out in public. Feral is not. I mean, sure. That's a good point. Why not? <laughs> Feral might try to 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 maul another character. So. Hey, everybody! Nico here again. Now, this next segment, Sword Number Seven, sees Rod returning from Guardians of the Galaxy 13 through 16 to keep the discussion about the series going. Now, The Last Annihilation is a really interesting idea born of Al Ewing masterminding a number of titles, and Broadway and Drew couldn't wait to weigh in on the X-Men's first part, Sword Number 7. And I love how often, whatever title Storm is in, the discussion becomes all about her. Couldn't think it's cooler. So we hope you guys enjoy this next segment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of X's for Podcast, where we talk about magic, marvels, and the glorious mutants i am rod you can find me at rod comma the on twitter and instagram and today we have with us broadway hi everyone i'm broadway you can find me at bway 3rd that's b-w-a-y 3rd also with us is drew hi drew hey guys i'm drew you can find me online on twitter and instagram at trucifer3 that's at d-r-e-w-s-i-p-h-e-r-3 perfect and today we are talking about issue number seven of sword it is the writer is Al Ewing, the artist is Stefano Casilia, and then the colorist is Suente Soju, and the letter is Ariana Mar. And yeah, this is a fantastic issue. I mean, it is also the second installment of The Last Annihilation, Al Ewing's own little space event. The first one was in Guardians number 16, I believe. Yeah, so we're kind of going from there. <laughs> what have y'all, like, what did y'all think about the beginning of this, like, Teddy defeating the, the mindless and getting Captain Glory. Do y'all even know who Captain Glory is? No, so I actually read this issue and then my comic book guy forgot some of my pulls, so I just went to another comic book store that I was closer to, and I decided to pick up Guardian 16 to, to read along for this. And it gives a little bit more context as to what 
what's happening in that because I'm reading mostly only X books. So the first time I read it, I found it very kind of, like kind of confusing as to what's happening and really who all these the characters are. Like not really like the main characters, you know, like we all know like Hulkling and, and them, but like L'Oreal. Yes, it is L'Oreal, Captain Marvel's sister. Yeah, <laughs> like see, I like I didn't know who she was. You know, if 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 you're just reading X Men context, like X Men, so I guess reading the the last annihilation, like the whole series is giving like more of a broader context. Yeah, it definitely is. I get so I forget that everyone doesn't read everything, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's L'Oreal does Captain Marvel's sister. How do you not know that? And it's like, well, if you don't read Captain Marvel, <laughs> then you obviously don't know who she is. <laughs> but yeah, she was introduced around like last summer actually in the Captain Marvel um, series and she's like the kind of like the bodyguard of Hulkling now the Emperor of Space so she's pretty cool I love her obviously I don't know if y'all been reading the past Guardians but Mephisto is a planet now (laughs) and is trying to take over the universe yeah no not Mephisto Dormammu oh my god I got my demons mixed up (laughs) it is Dormammu thank you Broadway yeah yeah I got you (laughs) what y'all think of the mindless ones is popping out of nowhere and seeing Hulkling being drawn in this like very handsome way and fighting for his life i'll say i have been reading guardians so i think i started reading guardians after empire and a lot of this is sort of empire things coming full circle i thought the mindless ones they're really like scary i don't really sort of fully understand them i think you know i have to do a little more like research as to like because they're not new but um i'm not not super familiar with them but they are like scary because they just appear because you can't really sort of defend from them if they're just like teleporting in from wherever um, and it was interesting just to watch like Hulkling and the Kree Skrull Alliance like really struggle because you would think that like as the king of space he's got you know this stuff on lock but it's really showing the sort of weakness of of the Alliance and also of the Guardians. Oh yeah I definitely agree like this event itself is not the whole point of S.W.O.R.D. but <laughs> it is in the middle of S.W.O.R.D. and it definitely gives you a little insight of what Guardians is going through even if you're not but even though we are well at least uh mostly drew and then broadway and me <laughs> are reading guardians now I'm actually i'm I, that was the only issue i picked up i haven't been reading guardians at all so well, I definitely it's really good i know so so now that i've been reading it like now that i've been picking up this issue and then just with everything that's been going on in x-men especially like sword and then like reading all this alleying work i'm kind of thinking about getting the trades and and reading it from the beginning oh yeah i definitely agree i mean al ewing's guardians was so amazing especially like the recent issues it's like all the gay couples in space (laughs) (laughs) like it's it's not that like long either there's only 16 issues in so that's what like three trades so it's like it's not that hard to catch up on oh yeah not at all it's very easy read it's very fun too you like i feel like you don't want to put it down you like want to keep going and then when it ends you're like oh man when is the next issue coming out at least that's for me yeah i feel that way too and honestly what I really like about it is that it feels almost both Sword and Guardians feel kind of MCU-esque where I feel like I'm watching like a movie like especially Avengers Infinity War where you know they're scattered across like you know Earth, Wakanda specifically the US like Titan and all that and I like the way that like Sword really captures that sense of like 
space and scale. Yeah, and like popping from locale to locale, like popping from Mars to the Kree throne world and all that. I don't know, there's something kind of cool about that. Yeah, like there's there's different fronts of like this bigger battle, you know? Like yeah. It has one battle on different fronts and showing kind of the, the different fronts that all like the Guardians are in. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I love that we get now, you know, Abigail Brand and like the sword captains like interacting with them and kind of being like real shady like we'll get to that but like i'm glad that we <laughs> finally get to that moment with kind of the mutants kind of screwing over the humans for a change which is kind of fun to read but speaking of like humans and mutants interacting what did y'all think about this very like how broadway say it, very mcu very movie like dinner that doom and storm had together this it gave me absolute like life this whole entire dinner scene yes i love how it called back on like a couple older comics referencing like arcade and that Mm -hmm. and even sorry when she turned into a chrome statue yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. when doom said it's so nice to see you in a role that benefits your capabilities because god damn it if that is fucking right like storm has just been like so underused in every media um and it's just so nice to see her like this is what she's supposed to be doing and this is like who she's supposed to who she is like she's just like reigning and it's just it's perfect oh exactly i definitely agree like i'm (laughs) i feel like the major advocate or one of the major advocates at least i mean there's a ton for aurora monroe in the comics and we'll always want her to go solo or be in charge of something and now i feel like she's finally getting her ducats she's you know ruler of a, a, a whole planet which is very up her caliber i mean she's a fucking goddess so of course this is right up her alley and exactly what she needs to be i mean she even said to herself in the books of marauders that she was bored she's like i'm tired of babysitting <laughs> on a fucking boat <laughs> right and and like you know she's been doing good work but she can do so much more it is interesting that it's like you know you hate to agree with dr doom but he is right but also it's like slightly backhanded like he never says just like congrats like it has to be like oh this is better than you being a king's wife like like it's like he has to like get a dig in which is funny because his marriage is in shambles yeah i don't know who if if y'all have been reading fantastic four but (laughs) his marriage went up in like flames like it wasn't really supposed to be a real marriage anyway but man did it go in complete disaster and i love that storm like shades him on it when he tries to like talk about the marriage he had with T'Challa and she's like really bitch you want to talk about marriage didn't you just have a disaster (laughs) side note what what is the T on that because I'm not reading Fantastic Four okay what what, what happened with that Broadway do you know or do you want me to tell it (laughs) yeah so I've been reading a little bit basically Doom was going to marry Victorious who was like one of his you know champions in Latveria Mm -hmm. and sort of do like the politics of you know weddings and whatnot Reed is supposed to be his best man and before he tells Victorious that he's proposing to her, Johnny and her fuck, and Johnny like cheats on his girlfriend with her. Like, Johnny Storm is an absolute disaster of yes. a human being. I yeah, was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like shocked at the level of just toxicity that he like, exudes. But then, but like as they're at the altar, Victorious like tells Doom that you know 
know, she's like, hey, just to be transparent, I fucked Johnny Storm. And literally the wedding goes up in flames. Like, like there's fire everywhere. Also, Doom uses some sort of magic tech thing to, like, supercharge Johnny. So now he's, like, unbearably hot. Like, he, it burns him. It burns everyone around him. Like, he's like, you suffer. And I was like, you know what? Fair. Like, that would I would be pissed. Honestly, like, Johnny Storm is the worst. I would be okay with him dying. But I know he's not because he's Fantastic Four. So, of course. I mean, um, no, he has he has died before. It's just he's come back. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if he else. did die, he would come back. So, yeah. but I'm I don't also think just in... not like a huge fan of dance a lot, so that's why I'm not. Yeah, very fantastic for. <laughs> I understand I... that it is. It does have its up and downs, like any book. I feel like, um, not every book, but some books. But I feel like it's he's definitely finding his stride now with the story, and I'm enjoying it more than in the uh, the first or second arc. So I definitely recommend at least like reading it now because <laughs> it's a pretty good story. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting, but I think for me, I was just like, it was hard for me to like get into the Johnny being a philanderer plotline because I was just like, well, why would you do that? Like, why? I don't understand, but I'm not like a broy straight dude who like sluts around. So like, I don't, I don't get, I don't get the psyche of of Johnny Storm. Um, yeah, but that's how he's always been. Like Johnny's right. always like the fuck up, the screw up. Like this was, I feel like his final straw um at least i hope it is with his family like after they solve this issue i hope they either have like a heart-to-heart intervention or they're just like you need to like leave the team for a little bit (laughs) yeah like you need to go to therapy and like maybe go like i don't know go fly around in space for a little bit and like clear your head because you're a monster and then he'll come back with like a new character and he'll be kind of different and better and everyone will like him more yes exactly (laughs) see there you go We fixed Fantastic Four in one episode. We, we fixed X's it in like 30 seconds. There we go. Where's our Oscar? Our, our Esner. Our Esner Award. Because <laughs> writers don't get Oscars. I don't know what I was thinking. That's kind of what, um, uh, to circle back to like the Guardians of it all, that's like kind of what happened to Peter Quill in Al Ewing's run. Like he spent time in like an, I don't know if it was an alternate reality or dimension or whatever, but had like a full life there and a kid and all that. So like when he comes back to like the main universe he's like all zen now and like wise and shit and it's very interesting to see like everyone sort of adjusting to him being very much a different person like him having like lived an entire life without them yes exactly like it i love how star lord is now it's yes me too. A better character development and not only that but we're picking up the issues i'm like expecting him to be like he is in the movies and like even how like gamora i'm like i didn't know that uh, her and Nova were in like a relationship or having a thing. Um, it so, just started. <laughs> yeah. So, but so it's it's just like I'm I'm assuming that the comics would want to align s- similarly to how the movies are going with like especially with like relationships and that kind of thing to make it comfortable for movie viewers coming into the comics. But you know. so they tried to do that <laughs> when Guardians first started, and they kind of did that. Well, Bendis um, tried to do that with his run. Guardians and um 
it's not the most popular run because of that so i think they like learned their lesson and was like well we're not gonna make it just like the movies and we're gonna kind of steer them in a different direction and i'm liking the different direction they're going with because you can definitely kind of even see it in this like run we don't see much of the guardians in this but we do see you know mm-hmm. you know hulkling and he's on the guardians as well so but i also think that the guardians work best when they have like a mixed cast like not just the movie cast like mm-hmm. when like moon dragons there and nova and like all these other characters that are you know they're like not just like drax and mantis and gamora oh i completely agree i think this is the best the guardian has been in years so and i don't say that lightly <laughs> <laughs> and i like that they've expanded their ranks too so it's like they're sort of like i'm trying to remember how many people they have now but like it's a pretty like large cast and like i'm excited to get to meet some of the other characters that i'm less familiar with like quasar and 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 folks like that also doom is sort of got scammed into being a member of the guardians which i love yeah, he really really did and speaking of doom like seeing him in fantastic four and guardians is very different than seeing him in sword in this issue because in the other issues he doesn't really respect anybody like he kind of respects reed richards but he still thinks he's better than them i mean than him but he respects storm he's always respected storm i mean he's technically even in love with storm to a to a certain degree or at least he used to be might still be now we don't know but yeah does this the way he's just talking to storm is not the way he usually talks to anyone like he's still trying to like manipulate the conversation but he's still complimenting her and trying to technically help but still be in his own like you know ego helping himself in his own country kind of way but it's still different than anyone i feel like he's ever really talked to in recent comics yeah but it's also just like that that storm like storm is the the queen of soul like you know what i mean she's like the the queen of the whole like solar system so so she has more like he i think he's drawn to like her political clout you know and like her her kind of um hierarchy that she is politically doom is quote on like a quote-unquote president of latveria you know what i mean like no one is really higher than him but storm it i guess storm is now because she is the the queen of the solar system which earth is under so and it's different than than t'challa and the intergalactic empire of wakanda because that's like far away you know soul is like like does encompass obviously earth Um, and so it's like you know storm is sort of declaring herself like his boss in a lot of ways and i think that that is both like enticing and intimidating to doom like it probably like i can you can feel like the envy a bit like the like at the audacity of storm to be like well it's mine but also he's like no but you guys also kind of did this well like i appreciate that he can like recognize that as you said drew like he respects her and respects like the games that they're playing oh yeah exactly and i feel like he's without even saying it just him being this sort of honed down respectfulness he's scared of like how advanced the mutants are compared to his own you know country or his own leadership like that's why in the fantastic four and x-men he imprisoned his own mutants that were on novelaria like he does not trust the mutants he's scared of them just like all the other humans are either you know more advanced than him and they even terraformed a whole planet and he's like well y'all are just starting so you need me so get my help so you can, you know, need me and get me a favor. Like he's trying basically begging for them to come to him and need him without basically saying that. Not only that, but they're also getting them like the point, like they're getting the Mysterium from like different realities like that relate to the white hot room, which is just like, you know what I mean? That like for me, that kind of like, 
signs like it could be like some dangerous stuff there that like if something goes wrong then things could get fucked up or you know what i mean but i could see doom like wanting to achieve like that level also and get like you know what i mean figure out how he can he himself can do that oh yeah absolutely i love that they finally kind of explained that i mean we kind of knew because from the other pages of sword but they outright explained it and i feel like it's an innuendo of what's gonna blow up in the future obviously probably after inferno because i feel like inferno is more about koa and then we'll probably get like a sword a rocky you know event that blows all this shit up to the fan <laughs> but yeah i think doom is gonna probably be one at least one of the spearheads of that because he you know he's like well i warned you and i tried to be polite but you didn't take that and of course who would it's doom who's gonna listen to him you'd be insane to in part because he has his own like schemes he's not doing all this out of like altruism and good you know goodwill it's like he's always looking for his leg up and so you know all that advice is cute but it's like okay but what's the other side of that like doom does not is not a kind and generous like a benevolent ruler i also think that it's interesting that for doom like because sort of he is latveria for all intents and purposes like he runs everything his reach is limited because it's only him like he doesn't empower his people whereas like krakoa is about mutant collective action and and what they can do as a community as a circuit as a coven as they say in excalibur and it is just fascinating the sort of scale of things like he's talking to storm like they're equals but again like you are a one-man army whereas like the mutants are a sort of mass scale uh just massive population of people who can do all kinds of crazy shit and look what they can do like they're going to the white hot room and making like you know science fiction metal out of it exactly like this is all new territory no one knows what to do everyone is scared of what the mutants are doing because it's all new this isn't a repeat of past events or anything this is all new territory and i love that this is such a I, like i had to buy this book i buy a lot of my books more digital now just because you know it saves room but this one i had to buy completely physical because we get such an amazing storm moment where she you know electrifies the table sends doom on his ass and is just like you know you can't we are you know you think we're crawling but we're already flying and of course you know for we always have been to school so we know how to learn like i just love that whole quote that she says yeah that was a great line it also kind of harkens back to i I think it's house and powers or it's like new mutants one but when they're in the academos habitat and it says that like they don't have formal school on krakoa because everyone is a teacher and everyone is a student and i love that that's like part of their ethos even now like as a community storm is noting that like yeah they started as a school they're all learning together and growing together exactly i'm glad that we keep that aspect even though because i mean that's been the whole like you were saying that's been the whole x-men's thing is being a school and this whole this has been what like over like 60 years of that right. <laughs> being in xavier mansion or Jean gray or whoever's mansion and i'm glad that we're keeping that sense of aspect like we there's no school we don't have a school anymore but you know we're still a learning type of race the mutes are and they internalize that and they're like we're not going to forget where we came from we're still going to be a learning class and i feel like we know everything because we know we're just starting off and i think it's really good for them to know at least storm knows that I also appreciate from a writing perspective, just to like zoom out a little bit, I really appreciate that this issue contrasts the scene on Hala with the dinner. Like that to me felt very kind of Game of Thronesy, where we're like, 
changing these locations, but also like the tone in each setting is different, right? Like on Hala, like they're fighting, all of that, very high energy. And it's contrasted by this sort of state dinner, the politics of it all. That is how sort of international relations works. Like there is the front line, there is the combat zone, and there's also the state dinners, the the diplomacy of it all. And I just really like the way that's woven in and it flips between the two without feeling kind of jarring or off-putting to me. Yeah, and one isn't like, like I wouldn't say that because this is the storm and doom dinner, like because it is kind of just conversational, it could get pretty boring and just like, you know, read boring and, and you're like, no, I want to get back to the action. No, it's still entertaining. You know, they're still like um, doing shots at each other and it's just, you know, it's still like good content and it like, dare I say, I think I wanted more of like the doom stuff than the the guardian stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Al Ewing is so good at interpersonal character, you know, conversational pieces like that. I mean, yes, he has great action sequences too, especially with the artists I work with. You know, Valerio Shidi was amazing the last six issues and Stefano definitely did not disappoint this issue either. But man, Al Ewing can definitely write some words together <laughs> and have these characters just riff on each other, throw shade at each other. Like, I need him to write a Doom book when this is over. Like, we need another Doom series just for fun. Maybe like a five issue thing. I have uh, a, okay, so I was going to say this for the end, but we can bring it up now because it segues right now into this but i also think that they should still have a storm solo series and make it be about her being like queen of iraqi and like you know like doing like more of like this kind of stuff that's in like this issue and then sword can be more about like the sword station and dealing like with that and and i think ali ewing would be like he should write both of them yes i mean i definitely agree i i'm i'm pretty i hope there's a book in there has to be a book in the future that's going to be a about planet Araco and storm rolling and everything. So uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a storm solo. I want there to be. I've been I've been wanting one since her last one ended like ten years ago. <laughs> so she deserves like she's such a huge character. How can she not continuously have a solo? But characters like Wolverine and Cable can have one. But it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make, make her solo book the Iraqi book and like and and then you know two birds one stone. Yeah, comic book Harold the YouTuber proposed a new X-Men book since we're like reusing old titles like call it like new X-Men and then just have it be like Storm and Araco and all of that and then let Sword still be focused on sort of like space spycraft and all of that I would love that mm-hmm. I hope we get that like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. If we don't get that, then what are they doing? Hickman, what are you doing? <laughs> Please. After Ten of Swords, there was sort of a, a period where we didn't get a lot of Araco. And now with like the, the like Mars terraformed and everything with planet Araco, I like that all of the books are like bumping into that, right? And like, like Way of X was just on Araco as well. And I like, like that Sword has engaged that. Like, I like that we are sort of bringing them into into the fold is a thing that is just going to be there, you know? Like, you can't sort of, like, like, ah, we have these other mutants. Okay, moving on back to, like, the OGs. It's like, no, like, we're gonna have to deal with him. Like, Tarn the Uncaring is back. Sweet, sweet Tarn the Uncaring. I love him. <laughs> but he's back in Hellions, and I love that, like, they're gonna have to deal with Tarn the Uncaring, who's terrifying. Yeah, and then there's even, like, Solomon Wolverine. And... Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I kind of consider that, like, early part to be more of, like, an intro into the reign of x and now this is like mm-hmm. we are in the reign of x now 
show, you know, Agreed. Um, like with the terraforming, um, it that like solidified it. Yeah. I mean, even with the, you know, with the introducing of Solemn and the Hellions issue, introducing those two characters. And then even with the Marauders issue with Storm going to Wakanda, I feel like all this was introducing, like you said, Drew, about the Reign of X and seeing what's coming, you know, because I feel like Hellions is about to, you know, get their world twisted upside down with the, you know, the uncaring coming to them. What are they called? Uh, The Locust Vile. Vile. The Locust Vile. Vile. Yeah, because I mean, they're way more powerful than the Hellions, unfortunately. Like, they kicked their butt the last time. I'm sure they're going to do it again, unfortunately. Poor them. They keep getting shitted on. But, you know, I guess they kind of deserve it, except for Kiwana. But I did, like, I I, feel, I love that we're getting, you know, this moment with Storm and really seeing her political, you know, say away. If she can handle Doom, then she can handle anybody. Because Doom is basically one of the three biggest bads in Marvel Universe. He's taken over the universe so many times. So you can handle going against him in a debate, and you can handle going against anybody. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how Storm not only interacts with the other mutants of Krakoa and of Araco. I mean, that the Araco side of it is going to be really interesting because they're going to fuck with her, and I'm very excited. I'm very excited for her to, like, put them in their place. But also, you know, she's going to have to interact with, like, Xandra of the Shi'ar. She's going to have to deal with Hulkling and all that. And then also... I'm just interested to see how she relates to Abigail Brand because Brand is a schemer and, you know, Storm, I'm sure, likes a scheme here and there, but I feel like she also prefers honest people who don't do, like, super shady shit. And that's, like, the exact opposite of Abigail Brand. Oh my god, can we talk about, like, what Storm is gonna have to deal with with Abigail Brand? Because she fucking manipulated this whole thing she's why hulkling and i think captain glory is even dead now <laughs> but she's like like hulkling you know his sword is destroyed which is a big major thing he's had that thing since forever and is supposed to be like unbreakable and she did all of this just so they could save them and be in good graces so like scarlet witch is dead they manipulated them like the mutants are gonna have to face a big whirlwind come from the king of space yeah and like when when they find out that like the mutants or that like abigail knew that like wanda was dead and all this stuff like they're gonna be pissed and then you know what i mean they're not gonna they're gonna like get rid of the treaty if they do end up signing it and it also like shows what her inevitable goal is and it's something to do with storm it seems juicy i know yeah. I'm, i was i was really I was like, Abigail, you better stay away from my girl. Like, I like Abigail. I like her a lot. But when she fucks with Storm, I'm like, oh, girl, no, I can't. I choose Storm over you any day. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. You want to, like, with, okay, so I, I actually, I do not, like, I like Abigail, but I don't. Like, I honestly think that she's kind of a bitch, but in the best possible way. Like, she does what she, she's a bitch because she needs to get the job done. Like, you know what I mean? She's like, and I find Maria Hill is the same way. Like, she's, she's, like, she's focused and that's what she needs to do and like this is what we're doing that's it and she's like and if she has to be a bitch to get it done then she has to be a bitch and i kind of like respect that about her it's very um girl boss gatekeep gaslight you know (laughs) that's exactly what abigail brand is i would i would compare her to maria hill just like a little bit better because i mean yeah i do not like maria hill in any sort of way possible (laughs) yeah no she's not the best i like her in some stories but she's kind of (sighs) like at least with Abigail Brand, I'm like, okay, yes, like you need to listen to her. This she's right, you know. I don't like the way you're saying this, but yes. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, Abigail Brand does, I feel like she's, in the way that she's different from Maria Hill, is that she does care about other people in a sense. Like, she does want to save more people than just herself. And she doesn't want to, like, she wants to get the mission done, but that mission could also be, you know, taking care of the people that's on her team. And she's shown that in, like, the past Sword series, and even in this one, too. Like, she will do what she has to do uh, to get the thing done, but, like, she will still take care of her team to an extent. Like, she'll sacrifice people, especially Kirkcomans, because they can be reborn but she tries not to like she doesn't automatically sacrifice people like i feel like maria hill does she's also not really aligned with like the crack cohen's this is like a job for her not really like like she doesn't like she's she's not like you know what i mean doesn't she like not kind of see herself as a part of them yeah she's more like our own agent more alien than mutant which i'm like i hope by the end of this she really sees herself as more mutant and she kind of comes into her mutant identity more because that'd be really cool to see that'd be a side of abigail we've never seen in any publication so that'd be really exciting to see i think especially as the sort of orcus henry peter gyrick of it all evolves that will come to the forefront more especially his sort of general xenophobia and distrust of anything non-human that coupled with like him being involved with orcus and probably concerns about hulkling and wiccan and you know crees and scrolls running around i feel like that will bring both her alien identity and mutant identity together in alignment with Krakoa and in standing up against Alpha Flight and Orcus. Yeah, because I feel like we're definitely going to get, obviously, a fight between them. Probably after Last Annihilation because I feel like towards the last of this event, the thing with Hulkling and her lying and everything probably going to get out in the open and then Sword's going to have like its own thing outside of this, you know, because it doesn't really have to do with the Guardians. Well, I mean, I guess he is a Guardian, but it's like that doesn't have to do with the Guardians. It's more of like his personal, you know, aspects yeah i really hope that this book can have a little time out of kind of the events because it's just been in so many and it's only on its seventh issue it's been in two or three and so i just like i think it needs a little bit of time to just be on itself be by itself and just kind of like breathe a little bit instead of taking part in telling other people's bigger stories right and i think that ewing has handled the events well but you are right that this is like their third event out of seven issues and i would like more time again you has done a good job of giving us character development making me care about characters that I never thought I would but I would like more time with like Mentilo or or the teleportation team like we don't really see them very much um, and so it would be nice to spend some more time with them also I believe that he said on one of the X-Men Mondays that the sword station the second one the keep is gonna be staffed as well and that's like gonna be part of like the ongoing like the future of sword is like dealing with you know the iraqi on this station and how they're all getting along and you know your like cousins from out of town are now like your business partners and like how do you work that out yeah and that's that is like the inevitable book like there has to be some kind of book coming out after inferno that that deals like we said earlier in the episode with all of this it's like just inevitable because you can't leave it like this and not have a book about it like it's you just can't you just can't (laughs) (laughs) i would definitely agree i hope since it has been three events like y'all said which i didn't even realize yes king and black hellfire gala and now the last annihilation wasn't there two issues in uh, king and black that it was a part of yeah i think there were three yeah i think think it yeah it was the second 
second, third, and fourth. And then the fifth, I think, was by itself. And then sixth was Hellfire Gala. And now this is seventh one is in Last Annihilation. Yeah. Two. So it's it's a lot. It's like like y'all said, I mean, it is Al Ewing and he's in his writing very well. Like it is hard to write even one of the issues in your series into an event, but he's done three and it's like flowing flawlessly. But and we, we even care about the characters, which is rare when it's overflowing with different events. Another thing, sorry, going back about this ending that I really liked with Abigail Brand is um, the way it's it's kind of edited together the book. So it's kind of weird because it's in the middle, the, the page previous to the data page, um, it, her line is, that one surprised me, Eden, it's always the same crisis. And then it's the data page, like in the middle of a sentence. So then it's the data page and then her last line is, people show you who they really are. And it's funny because... I kind of just read it all in one and it makes you like if you don't read the data page but just read what she's saying it doesn't really give you the same blowback as if you read the part of her sentence read the data page and then read what she's saying because to the reader she's basically talking about herself that she's like yeah. really showing you who she is because she's you know kind of like uh, manipulating situations right yeah. there's like an irony it like plays off of the fact that the the other characters don't know what we know which is that she set this whole thing up and so like while she's sort of like giving you giving uh you know manifold this this great line about in a crisis you know people show you who they really are she's not showing you who she really is at all <laughs> she's yeah. the whole stunt. Yeah. i love it <laughs> yeah i love the play on words with that it's really amazing al ewing does really good setup for like probably everyone turning on abel gilbrand at one point but then they know they still need her because she knows everything and she knows how to get things done especially in space because who else knows space better than abigail brand in this you know team nobody she's pretty much been one of the only like leaders of every single sword station like yeah you know what i mean she knows how to do it she knows how to run a sword station exactly exactly <laughs> Hey everybody, Nico here. Now this next segment, it's sort of a little bit like our trade waiting, but not quite. Rod was talking to us about how much he's enjoying the current Shang-Chi series, and he said that in the third issue, a new mutant appears, so there's a little bit of an X-Men tie-in, so we knew we had to cover it. And myself, Rod, Kyle, and Jonah sat down and talked about the first three issues of the series. Now, of course, this isn't the first series in this sort of line of Shang-Chi comics getting ready for the movie coming up in September, but we had an incredible time talking about these three issues. Admittedly, there may be some pronunciation issues on our part and if so we apologize if you would like to be a part of the discussion of future Shang-Chi issues as well as any issues in terms of Asian or Pacific Islander representation please reach out to us on Twitter we would love to have you on until then guys we hope you enjoy this next segment and until next time guys keep those mutant lights lit those Krakoan gateways open and we will see ya hello everyone and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcast I am Rod the X's for Podcast where we talk about magic mutants and Marvel and you can find me at Rod Kamada on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have with us the nefarious Nico. Yeah, there we go. That's how I'm going to use. I'll take it. I'm nefarious. There's something a little dark about me. I'll go for it. Okay. Well, I'm Nico. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And with us today, we have the clever Kyle. Hi, everybody. I'm Kyle. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantus82. And finally, we have Jonah. 
Uh, hello, everyone. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, just like all of the villains we fought today all survived. Though I guess Logan's not really a villain. It depends on how mad he is. Yeah, and You know, it's this whole versus the Marvel Universe thing. So, like, I don't know who the villains are because everyone here sure is so pretty. Very pretty. Only Glinda the Good Witch said only bad witches are ugly. So everybody in this book <laughs> is, except for MODOK, is good. Can we, <laughs> not, what an not ugly to shame! Oh my god! <laughs> not to like, not to like, really um, tangent this early into the episode, but Glinda the Good Witch really said to Dorothy, "Only bad witches are ugly." Are you a good witch? She literally just fucking called her ugly. Yeah, like the second sentence. Yeah, I loved it. I want to be. I want to cosplay as Glinda the Good Witch. Um, so- so there's no there's no transition for that but today we're discussing shang chi issue one through three and it's been a magical series i think it's going to issue number five correct yeah i believe so and we know from the last page that while there's going to be an unfortunate gap in the month of august when we're covering this there is going to be of course a marvel voices asian heritage pride special which is going to feature a story by this creative team gene lung yang and Dyke Ruan, as well as Triona Farrell. And of course, if I've gotten anyone's name incorrect, please reach out, let us know, and we will make sure we get it right going forward every time. However, a name that I'm hoping I'm saying right week after week is VC's Travis Lanham over on Lettering. Now, while a number of genius, brilliant voices did incredible covers, a number of them amazingly of Asian descent, great job, Marvel. I do want to say that there is, of course, a main cover by Lionel Francis Yu and Sunny go who are two of our favorites here on x's for podcast just look back at their incredible work on jonathan hickman's x-men exactly and i want to give my own personal shout out to myself um, <laughs> already starting off big egos because i got everyone that's on here right now to read this series now y'all are now in your defense y'all are going to read it you're going to trade weight it and that's right. perfectly fine there's so many fucking books out you have to trade weight sometimes but i got y'all to read it under peer pressure and y'all loved it and i'm so happy because now we're recording about it and it's this is what peer pressure does, kids. Do it. Well, and it's good peer pressure because it was, hey, why aren't you reading this? And I was kind of like, you know, not to be that guy, but I'm so MC Unified out. I am so fucking sick of all of these book launches that were supposed to be for the MCU synergy and then everything got delayed a year. I'm not mad about it because look how good Kelly Thompson's Black Widow is. It actually doesn't make sense. It's so good, right? I look how agree. good Kieran Gillen's Eternals has been. No, the. And how we know that we're now going to get, and I can't stop. I'm so sorry, guys. But the fact that we're going to get a crossover between Kieran Gillen's Eternals and Jason Aaron's Avengers in the form of Avengers 1 million BC showing up in the pages of an Eternal special, I cannot tell you how excited. Like, that's literally the God tier Avengers versus the God tier Eternals. That's going to be everything to me. I, so I'm so tired of all of these, like, over the top restarts. And I saw Shang-Chi and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get it, but I'm going to trade with it. It'll be $1.99 on Comixology. And the way Comixology trades have been going, I'm going to get all four issues for like $7.99 the day the trade comes out. I'm probably just going to trade with it. And then you were talking about how exciting this new character is in issue three. And I was like, uh, mm. 
is issue one on Marvel Unlimited yet? It's not. Okay. I'll buy issue one. Well, why don't I just put two and three in my cart anyway? All right. I'll buy all three. And if I regret it, it's a $10 regret. I've had worse regrets. I loved it. I thought the whole thing was great beginning to end. I really... I really enjoyed stepping into this world. I mean, I'm here repping my buddy. Uh, I can't help that I grew up on the white Marvel ninjas, right? Uh And I mean, I never meant to. I never meant to be this problematic. I'm covered in white ninjas, but I want to do the right thing. And I want to understand this world a little bit better. So I spent the last year or two rereading and coming to read a lot more of the amazing Masters of Kung Fu series that used to be at Marvel in the 70s, pulpy, brilliant, and beautiful. A lot of those characters saw incredible resurgence under Brew Baker's pen in the mid 2000 aughts into the early 2010s. And I just thank you so much because I did not realize how perhaps this is what I always wanted from an Iron Fist book. And now I get it from Shang-Chi and it's, I'm very excited. Well, also like the, with the same, I think it's the same writer. I don't know if it's the same artist team. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they also did the first one through five issue series of this. That's a prequel to this on how he right. gets, you know, in charge of the Deadly Ring Society and all of that. And it's really good as well. Like, I definitely suggest if you're reading this and not understanding why he's in charge of all of this and everything, I definitely suggest reading that. Because I think this is one of the things that it's elevating a lot of characters in Marvel right now, especially characters of color. Like, they elevated Wakanda in space. They made Storm a queen of soul. Like, and they're making Shang-Chi, like, a more front-runner player. And I feel like that's what they're doing with a lot of, like, not side characters, but characters that have been in teams, but they haven't been as important as Look some at Billy and Teddy. Yeah, yeah, and Billy and Teddy, right. too. Yep. They are taking marginalized characters and elevating them to the... St- and, you know, it, it comes back to that quote from the weekend Black Panther came out. I can't remember where I read it, but a man said that the reason he had to take his son to Black Panther the day it came out was because this was the first time in his experience that a black man wasn't a superhero after going to prison, that a black man wasn't a superhero because he was experimented on. No, this is a king and he is a king. And that is such an important thing. I It's just beautiful that now Marvel is trying to reverberate that back out into the real world. I like what they do with Shang-Chi so far in his story. Like they're making him you know not break his morals you know obviously they're like this is an evil society why are we doing good things like why are we following these rules why are we doing this and that and i i just love his juxtaposition he's like i'm going to make a change you know he's like i haven't you have to make the change from the inside and this is what i'm gonna do like this is maybe this is my life's purpose maybe i have to undo all the crap that my horrible father did which i understand that <laughs> now, yeah i just I better say do you guys have a lot of shang chi experience i know that you guys were like yeah we want to do this but like I don't know how much you guys know about this guy other than he's so hot so hot Uh, oh my god (laughs) I haven't had any experience at all with Shang-Chi and it it was it was pretty eye-opening how enjoyable this was and I I I went back and I I read the the previous six books leading up to it so I could understand where where things got to this point and even in that was was an awesome read as well. Sounds like a trade waiting special to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely suggest. Like I'm glad you read that. I did tell you to read it too. I told all of you. You did. You, you did, did not do your homework, but Kyle, you did. You get an A plus. But <laughs> <laughs> I'd already read it. Oh well then. 
show off. I guess you get an A plus two. It's <laughs> fine. You told me to read it like months ago. <laughs> I did. I did. I I try to tell y'all to read things. You have to keep me updated. I can't read your mind. I'm not Jean Grey. That but, is true. <laughs> but speaking of like Jean Grey and mutants and everything, I know we're jump. I'm kind of jumping to issue three already, but just because I like her a lot. <laughs> Deadly staff. Like I said to y'all in like the green room, I think she's a better dazzler. And I know that's going to really hurt Nathan again, saying this out loud, but I think she is. <laughs> I, I love this I, this take on her, right? I love what a fancy character she is in terms of design and execution. I, you know, I actually feel like she plays into a trope that I know Jonah really loves. Jonah, I don't know how much you know about Shang-Chi. And I have to imagine that you now love both of his sisters. I, I have to imagine that that's a big thing for you now. How do you feel about this badass better dazzler? So my experience with Shang-Chi is zero before this. Very early on in, to us dating, I was asking Nico about a lot of different Marvel characters because he's so well-versed and I love learning things. And he brought up the creation of Shang-Chi when Marvel, uh, when basically kind of the world was really into Kung Fu and really into Kung Fu action movies. You know, you look at a lot of um, Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee movies that were really popular over here. So if I'm not mistaken, his creation was around that time to kind of capitalize on that wave of hype for Kung Fu and Asian representation in that way. Um, So he was just a character that I was vaguely aware of existed, didn't really know anything about. And then his movie, his movie trailer comes out and he's announced to have his own solo movie. And we're like, oh, okay, nice. This is, I don't want to say a deep cut, but it's a deep enough cut that I don't know if more casual comics fans would really know about him unless you're really into specifically the Avengers because he was in the Avengers. I, I am coming to this with an extreme blank slate. And so I'm reading these issues and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of getting the sense of what they're trying to go for here. And you can, I'm not mad at it. And for the MCU tie-ins that I think this is really meant to be like, hey, did you know that he's friends with Spider-Man and Captain America? And he kind of knows Wolverine too. And so like, he really is kind of meeting everybody in almost a sense. It reminds me a lot of the Marvel team-ups where you kind of had two characters who maybe vaguely knew each other fight a common villain for that issue. So going into this, I was like, okay. And originally, when I first read it, I don't know if I was leaning more positive than negative, but I was a little more neutral about it because I was like, well, it kind of feels like all these are running the exact same way. It's he's arguing with his siblings over their teachings from their dad because they still think they want to be evil. But he's like, no, we're going to do things different. We're good. I'm going to reform this group. Almost kind of like a little bit of... um, Sabrina and Jillian Adventure Sabrina when she goes becomes the queen of hell and she's like hell's gonna have a reform and then doesn't really do anything with it and like the a little (laughs) deeper cut for comics when Daredevil took over the hand to purge the hand of its darkness and ultimately they put an actual demon inside him and Elektra saved him then too but neither here nor there he couldn't save the hand either no 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 bad daddy sins you were saying no but the hand apparently has some sugar daddies somewhere giving them money I looked back again and I reread it again and I was like okay okay, maybe there's a lot more here that I can actually appreciate about what this book is trying to tell us. And a lot of this book isn't about external conflicts. It's not a lot of there's this villain they're trying to fight, there's this 
issue that they're trying to overcome. There isn't really many obstacles. It's a lot of more internal struggles with Chang-Chi trying to fight the teachings that his father taught him and not wanting, having to take over, quote unquote, the family business, but in a way that aligns with his own morals, as well as the fightings with his siblings who were brought up a little bit differently and a little more traditional in the sense that they're going to do what their father taught them because that's the old that they know. It's not necessarily that they're evil or good. It's more so, I think this book is a really good looking at amorality. They want to do good, but they're taught and they were raised to do bad. They don't know the difference of you don't do this to do good, almost in the sense that they're a little bit like anti-heroes compared to Shang-Chi's heroism. So I actually really appreciate that dynamic, more so looking at it from the sense of these are amoral characters trying to reconcile their own upbringing to become good. His younger sister, I really enjoy. She kind of reminds me, not to always compare it to other mutants and stuff, but she kind of reminds me of Gabby, but a little more uh, oh, yeah. gung-ho. Yes. She, yes. She's, a little, she's a little more ready to pull the blade trigger as opposed to Gabby, who's seen right now, when she's not dead, is trying to be a little more less high hot-headed like her family and more trying to think things out a little more rationally and try to use her words a little bit more. And I really loved Deadly Staff's introduction because there are so many mutants. There are so many. And I want to give a, a very quick shout out to Bob Quinn for putting really random mutants in the backgrounds of his yes. art. There are so many mutants. And right now it's a little bit of an oversaturation, especially when they're all in the exact same place. So I can understand the hesitation of Marvel of saying, we really aren't going to be creating a lot of new mutants. We're not going to be introducing a lot of new new people, whether they're already established to be uh, characters to become mutants. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about like completely new original characters that are established to be mutants. And we're not getting a lot of those recently because there's just so many to utilize. But her being there, I really like that there's another counterpoint to Shang-Chi, another sibling who also wanted to reform the group, who also yeah. wanted to say, mm-hmm. hey, this is messed up. And I actually like that there's this realization that because she's a mutant, her two siblings now have to reconcile their own thoughts of mutantum of what they were taught and you know it's almost a little bit like whiplash to be like oh wait there are people who still hate mutants like they're still a hated group it's kind of like when i go out into the real world and i'm like oh they're straight people oh oh (laughs) there's people that are straight not everybody's queer and like (laughs) so it's something that i really did enjoy seeing i don't know if i would say the better dazzler i think it's much more interesting what she can do with her powers and it's also just a power set that i don't think has been very well utilized in the sense of you can do a lot with just music in general there's a one of my favorite anime characters she has plays a minor role in the series hunter hunter her name is melody and her one of her abilities is she could play her flute and she can basically control people's emotions with the way that she plays Mm. so uh, we kind of see a little bit more in a supporting role where she plays her flute and she's able to calm people and actually heal them but it's something that i don't know if marvel has really ventured into in the terms of musical powers so i'm really excited to see what she brings well let me let me just come in for a second 
um, because I think the best way I can put it is comics are not an audio medium. <laughs> well, yeah, so, <laughs> it makes it it makes all of these great ideas so tricky, and you wind up in this sort of dazzler situation or rhapsody situation where people I don't know if before this had the technological ability to execute a character who would have sound-based powers outside of like music notes and lights and sparkles. I'm not saying that digital drawing has made drawing easier. I'm saying it's made certain things possible. And I think you're really right. We haven't seen enough of it in comics because comics is evolving. I'm not saying it should be comicsology and I tap the character and I hear the panel, though. That'd be cool. Why not? Nor, nor, cool. nor are we asking for coinciding records to go no, along. I am. Hi. Oh, hi. Yes. I'm, I'm a composer. You can hire me for this. You know, the Earth X graffiti limited edition Alex Ross slipcover X51 box design set that came out in 99 or 2000. And they're all signed by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross and they're numbered and they're gorgeous, but they bring it up because it's unique in that it came with a CD of music suggested to be listened to while reading. And I it was that. I love that all about original compositions. Comics. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. I mean, I i can't remember, my brain is done, but I, can, I know I've read other comics in the past that I've had like in certain scenes or certain panels, like what the character's listening to or what yeah. the character would like want to play during this scene and like it's by this artist and this song and like i i personally say better dazzler (laughs) because she can form the um the notes and like into like things that she can like grab and everything it's very green lantern it's very green lantern and i'm like that's a big possibility i'm like what if you just like yes the flute because culture and everything but also what if you just play music outside of like your you know your phone or something like that and look how much more power you can get or the world is music like think of august rush and think of all the things that you can i don't know if y'all know that movie but (laughs) but like everything is music around us so like if she taps into that and really focuses her mind and like really hears all the music can she channel that and like really make whatever she wants whatever around her as long as she can hear it like it's very i want to know i wonder if they can go down that depth and see how powerful she can be with that like that'd be really cool and really interesting and there's so many great mutants that aren't in x books right now and that's something that I feel like we are trying to work on as a team, where we covered The Union, which featured a mutant not in an X-book, where we cover The Runaways, which features a mutant not in an X-book. Hey, Molly. We, hey, Molly, girl. Hey. Where we cover, you know, parts of Young Avengers and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which currently features some mutant-ish type. Ca- I mean, if Wanda's not a mutant, does that make Speed a mutant? Speed is considered a mutant. Okay. Okay. Wiccan is not considered a mutant. Okay. But if we're going to consider Wanda a mutant, I think that also trans- transitively makes Wiccan a mutant, but we're we're going to see what happens. And there's That's a free-floating right kid mutantum just out there that Franklin isn't using. So I feel like somebody yeah. else should just yeah. fucking take it. Honestly. And but yeah, I, I I love what you're saying. I really do. And I really do love this character. I actually love all three siblings. Like, yeah. you know, it's yeah. I'm not trying to compare it to another Kung Fu book at Marvel, especially a inherently somewhat problematic one. I'm wearing this shirt not because I believe that Iron Fist is the ultimate ninja at Marvel. I'm wearing it because Iron Fist should be considered a white ally. 
he should be considered a white ally to Asian culture, but he should not be the forebearer of Asian culture at Marvel, right? And the last time I felt this excited about a number of like super cool, super specified, hyper named characters running around Marvel was the Immortal Weapons introduction in the pages of Brubaker, Fraction, and Aja's Iron Fist. And I love those Immortal Weapons. I think they're the coolest idea ever. And then we see sort of a less on a less well-received interpretation in sort of the redesign of the worthy for the hammer wielders in fear itself, where Mm. we sort of got like a core of powers based on unique weapons, given everybody abilities. We sort of saw it again in war of the realms. Right. Mm. And I think this was just a really cool opportunity to get to know kind of uh, role based characters. Right. We're really focusing right now on the personage of singular character. And like, we want to know how Gene, works and we want to know what makes Storm tick and we care what sort of chest hair relaxant that Logan must use to get that name (laughs) down, right? We want to know those things. But that's kind of eliminated in many ways the role of the perhaps legacy character. Now, Iron Fist has fallen out of favor because of a thousand reasons, not the least of which was an unimpressive outing in the television program and a lot of white-based Asian erasure, right? So I know Iron Fist is not exactly the talk of the town right now. But what I think we can learn from a book like that is Iron Fist has been replaced by other people. There was an evil female Iron Fist in the third volume of New Warriors by Jay Ferber. There have been other female Iron Fists in the recent past, right? So you can take a legacy character like that, a character where the mantle is legacy, right? And you can fix it. You can just fucking fix it. Like, how hard is that? There's room. If DC can have like nine lanterns, 10 lanterns now, if DC can have a 10 color lantern core, I'm still waiting on my gold ring, Bendis. I don't know (laughs) why it's such a problem for something like this to exist at Marvel. I even loved the -the over-the-topness of the names. I thought the names of these characters were so spectacular in that sort of 70s kung fu movie motif spectacular way i just ah i just love this book so much rod thank you for convincing me to read it how did everybody else feel about the other siblings i mean one of them steals a fucking cosmic cube (laughs) that on a scale of one to kind of like the red skull that's a little too like the red skull my brother and i need you to check that (laughs) it is too much like the red skull speaking of the siblings when jonah was talking with my research of like asian culture and my asian friends like like when they're the first generation american the parents immigrated here yeah Yeah. so they're most used to more like tradition and everything and i feel like that's what he his brothers and sisters are like you said john they're not really necessarily good or evil they're just stuck in tradition and like trying to get out of tradition for like speaking a more asian type culture and like being in that society it's really hard to like break tradition because it's really frowned upon and like even in some instances it could be death like not more so now but you know in the past you're absolutely right culture shock is a real thing and protectiveness of culture i mean absolutely those are great points and then i even kind of got with some cultures being like you only date in your race and only you know interact with people in your race blah blah and then they're like well then then there's this mutant so it's kind of like if 
you know, being in the LGBT or being like a, a black person or a Latinx person. It's like, no, 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 you need to stay in your race. And a lot of, unfortunately, <laughs> there's a lot of races like that that are stuck in that cultural mindset with my other Asian friends. They have talked to me about that and been like, yeah, some of their parents are like frowned upon because they even have a black friend or they dated a black person. And it's just like, I got that from this with being a mutant. And I was like, oh yeah, I kind of got that connection. I don't know if they meant to do that in this book, but that's what I got. <laughs> As a Latino, I know it's true of my culture as well. I know so many Latinos that think there is this ocean of difference between Puerto Rican and Mexican and Cuban and Dominican. And there is in terms of the uniqueness of culture in a way that should be celebrated. But mm-hmm. there is not in terms of quality of person. Mm-hmm. And I think I really hear what you're saying that in a lot of especially cultures that have resisted American sort of explosive reprogramming of the world, right? In cultures like China and Japan and Korea, in both North and South Korea, where these are four nations that have so protected their legacy of culture, there is something so special to the protection of that culture that the idea of breaking free of tradition can be really dangerous. And I hadn't even thought of that parallel. I had seen the parallel of the unfortunate amount of Asian and Pacific uh, Pacific Islander sort of hatred in the last year and a half, two years through misinterpretation of facts about COVID. And I myself saw it as a chance to say, hey, you know, this is what that would look like in this metaphor. Jonah, I feel like you and I have talked about this a number of times with, you know, the fact that you're Puerto Rican and I'm Cuban, that this is something that is unfortunately still a thing in Latino society. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite jokes, but it, it really does apply to my family from the Mindy Project. When she's dating one of uh, her co-workers' friends who's from Staten Island, funny enough, his mom says to her, no, you have a, but you have a little bit of Puerto Rican in you, right? And that is something that, while played for a joke, really in certain, you know, uh, <laughs> European cultures, it like, kind of hit home to be like, oh, that, that is something that my family would absolutely say if I was dating someone who is much, uh, much of a, uh, a darker, different skin tone than I am of trying to justify what is acceptable and what's the baseline. Because she understands that Mindy Kaling is brown and is not definitely not white or Italian, but you, she could settle for the Puerto Rican. Like that's what she, could, she can settle for that. And you're like, that hit way too close for, for what is a joke that is, it was a little too real. Not that I can ever speak to what the actual experiences of them are like, but I do have a little bit of an understanding of what a lot of Asian people go through, especially in a lot more traditional households where they are, you know, I, I even have, uh, I had a coworker and friend who is from Bangladesh. His, fa- his family was Bengali. And that form of st- the stereotypes of very strict, strict Asian parentage still is from over there. So it's not just a traditional Asian countries that we always think of. A lot of other different Asian countries still uphold that very strict mentality. So it's something that I know a lot of Asian people can probably struggle with and relate to. So I'm really happy that they get to see a lot of their experiences. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I, that's that's always like let's bump up this book so it can actually get more and not just like a mini series and like get a continuing series because you should get a continuing series or at least be a part of a team or something. Like don't just let uh, Shang Chi go away after the movie comes out and after this mini series ends and then people are just like, okay, well we're done with this character now 
because the movies, the the first main solo movies already coming out and already done. So we're done. <laughs> I'm like, please don't let that happen. <laughs> and you know, I feel like by positioning him with so many amazing guest stars throughout the course of this three issues, whether it's Spider Man with a little hint of Man Spider, which almost feels like, are you a Sony fan? <laughs> Do you like the sort of more body horror y stuff? We got it too. And like Kyle, I know you're a big Captain America fan, but like I feel like you never get to read Captain America and this had to be at least an in-character appearance for you. Yeah, it was really cool seeing him because they've been setting up Shang-Chi and his siblings as running this evil group. I wasn't expecting Captain America to be working with them. I thought that it was going to end up being them kind of fighting against him like what kind of happened with Spider-Man, but it was more, I mean, with Spider-Man, Shang-Chi was trying to hide that he was running this whole thing. But in, in the Captain America issue, he's... But Cap has intel. Peter, Cap has intel, yes. Peter has Peter shoelaces and rent problems. You <laughs> right. know what yeah. I mean? Right. As well as, you know, problem students from being a professor. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I get it. I feel like with Captain America also, he understands when people that he's been on teams with have to make the hard choices. Yeah. Like, right. Even when Captain Marvel was doing like her dark Avengers thing and taking down all the Avengers in, in like kind of recent arc um, with the Kree killer guy. I forget who his name is, but he's pretty cool. But like he he like didn't even fight her. He was like, you have to do this. I understand. Like do what you got to do. I trust you. And he's been on a team with Shang-Chi as well. And he trusts him mm-hmm. with like his life as well. And he's like, hey, like I'm going to help you. I need that cube, but like I'll help you. And like, I understand that you're going to try to do the right thing because I've worked with you before and I can tell like he's a real good judge of character sometimes most of the time most of the 95 90 percent he's, he's done the same for logan he's done the same for daredevil he's done the same for electra he's done the same for punisher and he stopped them when they go too far mm-hmm. but i think shang chi is a character built on honor and not just in terms of he is in character of asian tradition mm-hmm. i also believe he is a character built on honor the way steve is built on honor mm-hmm. he's a character that wants to fulfill his promise even if he's tempted by the darkness he made a promise not to be dark you know what i mean so i think steve is willing to afford him that benefit of the doubt i think peter isn't really smart enough to question it (laughs) peter peter loves with his heart peter doesn't love with his head cap loves but cap loves with his head peter loves with his heart peter is not smart enough to question if somebody like shang chi is making the wrong move look how long it took for him to finally snap on Matt and start challenging him. It took till the Zardski run. They've been having problems going back 10 years. Mm-hmm. And look how that played out. I mean, they've been not quite right since the Wade run. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of history there. And it took till then for Spider-Man to snap, right? And then Wolverine, I... <laughs> I feel like this might have been the most in-voice Wolverine appearance, not in an X book, in a really long time, because I sort of appreciated the simplification of there was no Krakoa to deal with. Yeah, 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 Krakoa is an island, going to rescue this mutant girl, going to bring her home. But he could have done that if it was Xavier's mansion. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, go ahead and kill me, I'm coming right back. Yeah. I don't know. I really, uh, I, I thought it was just like a light, fluffy Logan appearance. It was very, hey, kid. And 
And that's the kind of Logan I'm always looking for. You know, I'm looking for fun, good time, rough, rough, Rogan, rough, rough, rough. I can't even talk. It's so hard to say so many letters. And I, I just feel like rough and tumble Logan is a really terrific interpretation of him, especially for casual fans. If you see Shang-Chi in September and then in October, you're like, I'm at a comic shop. I would like to read this book. And yeah, this is, this is the right kind of Wolverine. It's the right kind of Cap. It's the right kind of Spider-Man. It's the right kind mm-hmm. of Shang-Chi. It's the right kind of his siblings. I don't know. I really loved this three issues. So I'm just very positive on it. I'm always nervous when there's a cosmic cube. I'm sorry, a Tesseract. But I <laughs> am... I mean, a minute for the next three installments, the Marvel voices and the next two issues. I don't know. I really enjoyed this. And I, so I don't want to come off too positive because that makes it sound like I'm not objective. You know, there were things where I thought some of the story beats were maybe a little bit wasted. There were some half pages that were just to buy time till the next page so that the splash would land right. And I would have put in perhaps a little more choreography. There were places where I maybe couldn't follow the fight sequences as beautifully as I would have liked, especially with the don't sip that. And then all of a sudden the guy was on the ground. I was yeah. like, no, the guy that got blasted wasn't wearing a mask oh also this guy this guy too oh choppy a little but like the storytelling was on point the writing was on point the you know the representation was on point I felt like even though this wasn't a story about me I had a place to view it from like I just really Rod thank you for recommending the show do this because I feel like this was three issues worth covering instead of three issues we could cover yeah I definitely agree and I would even say speaking out to your like first point or one of the points i don't know there was a lot of points but <laughs> i'm a point to list <laughs> with logan i feel like he's another white ally for the asian culture because i mean obviously he has a lot of backstory with the asian culture so i feel like it really made sense for him to show up and be like hey i'm gonna save this asian woman because she reminds me of like my ex-wife i don't know oh. that's what i got in my head i was like I, that's what i got in my or head maybe right? son maybe he Our sees son. it like yeah. dokken who I is, oh yeah, right? Dokken is his son. I always Dokken. forget Dokken. Jubilee, his, his adoptive daughter. Jub- um, See? I, white yeah, ally. No, white he ally. All. Completely <laughs> a thousand percent. <laughs> I also appreciate it was Logan, not, you know, for all those reasons, but also Logan is someone who can put up, a, who can, is formidable in a fight, but is also beatable. You couldn't send like Storm or any other very high powered one who would just blast everything and be like, no, you're coming. You try to get something, <laughs> yeah. somebody who's on, who can be an equal footing in terms of fight Lightning. where it comes down to a white you know? Right? Like, what was she going to do against Gene? Like, yeah. No, <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Happen. I'm gonna get close. <laughs> I'm gonna get close. Know, right? Like it'd been a, this would it would the story would have ended. Like the book would have ended at this point. And I also feel like Scott would have not stood a chance against Shang Chi. And that's not a slam against Scott, but they're purposely making sure that for so long the honorific of top ten, number one, top five, etc., belong to exclusively white male characters. And they are seeking to rectify that with challenging some things that we. No, right you know we 
recognize that Black Panther is one of the smartest men in the world and Amadeus Cho is one of the smartest men in the world. There are probably some stereotypes that Asian men are either uh, less physically formidable or less masculine. So you know what? Amadeus Cho is the fucking Hulk too. He's smart and strong and there's no problem with that, right? And I'm really excited to see where we might go next with the narrative as well because there is so many, there are so many more Asian characters to introduce into this sort of narrative and to see that perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm holding out hope, but guys, maybe an Atlas crossover? Ooh. I'm hoping for Silk. I'm hoping for Silk. I'm hoping, oh, that'd be great. That'd and, be you know, great. Let's, let's strip the word Asian of a cultural connotation and let's make it Asia, right? I can't wait to see characters like Kamala, who is mm. featured in the upcoming mm-hmm. Asian Voices story. And, you know, I would love to see so many of the other fantastic Asian characters really appear in this book. There's just so much amazing talent in the Marvel Universe right now. And that, you know, breaking down these honorifics, having this idea that we can have a character like Shang-Chi, who is one of the top 10 fighters in the Marvel Universe, right? I mean, he's not going to take down Galactus by hitting him at a pressure point or anything, but he could take on Cap. He could take on Iron Man in the armor. Mm -hmm. He can't do a Thor. He can't do a Gene. He can't do, a a, you know, anybody like that storm level. Mm -hmm. But he would have whooped Cyclops' ass. Sorry it took me so long to get to that point. I had so many things to get out. But I... just really think this book is filled with so much exciting promise it's a mistake not to check it out i definitely agree i first i want to correct you the smartest person in the marvel universe is moon girl where the fuck is she and she's a beautiful amazing young black woman (laughs) and you know number one thank you for correcting me i do love when a black man comes in and says white person you have this black fact wrong um number two I love that it even further proves the point of the effort to create cultural diversity in the honorifics because it's this young, brilliant black girl. That's amazing. Right. Second, we didn't talk about it yet, but I want to. The one of my favorite things about these three issues was the when they went to the um secret evil whatever society meeting thing and we met all these villains and Modoc and Madame Hydra and all of this. I was like, this is so fun. I want a villain's book. I really want like a five issue, just all these villains hanging out and talking with each other and like trying to kill each other. I want more of this. This was so fun to read. Then check out the Daredevil run by Wade. It has an arc just like this where really? they're all bidding on stuff. We also saw that at uh, Ben Percy's Wolverine in yeah. the Maverick arc. Mm-hmm. You're right. This is really a, a very growing in popularity sort of storyline. Oh, and there was the Modoc tie-in for anybody who is watching oh. Hulu. With Modoc by Patton Oswald, still no sign of a renewal, but the critical reviews were spectacular. So, right? Yeah. It's and, like Robot Chicken. It is. But just Modoc. It, it just really Modoc. is. It's it Mo- had some, Modoc Chicken. It had so many in that in that show. It had so many, Um, what is it? Amazing cameos. Cameos. Thank you. I don't, so yeah. So many. So many cameos. My favorite one was Wonder Man, but so many great cameos. <laughs> I really need to get to around to that. <laughs> My yes. precious Simon. Because like you know it sucks but you can skip hellstrom it was canceled yeah it you know great. it wasn't great it, at least to me it was i did not get there was a lot of positivity for it on x twitter i felt that it was kind of grimdark to be grimdark and didn't really have a lot to offer in terms of story but exactly. you know and hellstrom is such a, a vital character mm-hmm. but you know like at least we're not sitting here bemoaning that it was you know hellstrom's only chance at something he's a marvel dark wow. magic character he'll probably yeah. pop up in something doctor strange at some point the way constantine popped back up 
on Legends of Tomorrow. It'll be some cute little nod like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've waxed poetic about how much I love the book. Rod, I know you've been so positive. I got to know, Jonah, Kyle, was there anything like big that you guys walked away from these three with? Like, I'm I'm hungry for this knowledge. I I just, I absolutely adore Esme, Sister Dagger. She's just off the wall, bloodthirsty. And I just, I normally don't like those type of characters, but it's just, it's just wonderful seeing it come out of her, this little tiny package. And she's just always asking if she can kill somebody. (laughs) She'd fit right into Kill Bill. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Jonah, what about you? Well, I love that she st- she shares a name with one of the cuckoos. Uh, <laughs> yep. We got uh, another tie-in. Thinking about it now, I don't know if I had any big revelations because I don't know if I was meant to take anything big from it. More so, there were a lot of great little things that all added to one great spectacular thing. I think the parts were better than the whole, if that makes sense, in a non-negative way. Okay, so you like the issues more than the overall narrative so far, because you even kind of commented that you felt that maybe there was some repetition early on not that it made it bad for you but it felt a little like you know right so yeah okay i i think because this story because there there is an overlying threat but we haven't seen it and we don't know who it is it's just this yeah, mysterious it's... shadowed out figure um <laughs> that is kind of just talking and saying uh, to the people that were you may were or may recently not have been defeated wrong. maybe you can yeah. help so without really understanding what is going on, I don't know if there's a lot at stake just yet. We're kind of just going through the motions of cleanup with Shang-Chi and his family and what everything that was going on. So I think I'm waiting for a little bit of a overall, a, as a non, I need more like tangible goal as opposed to this being an uh, intangible goal of righting the wrongs that his father did. I think there needs to be a lot uh, i think there needs to be something that is very tangible that that you can see and overcome as opposed to this you know morality play that we're going through so what you need is is a reveal of who the shadowy figure is who's trying to counteract him yes i need i would appreciate not that you can't have somebody working in the shadows of trying to overcome it because you know we see that in a lot of different kinds of medias i more so need something about not you don't have to tell me who it is but i would love to know why you know what is this reason this person's going against shang chi is this a, like another sibling who's potentially wants to take his place what is exactly going on what is the motivation for this villain so that i can feel the stakes that shang chi isn't aware of just yet well now i guess we got to read four and five <laughs> i mean i guess you better read four and five i have to come to your houses and torture you to read it if you don't <laughs> <laughs> well i I guess the four of us should cover the remaining three issues, but I do want to put this out there for any listeners and viewers who are interested. If you are of an Asian heritage or representation and would like to be part of the Marble Voices Asian Pride special or our continuing coverage of Shang-Chi, you want to tell us that we got it wrong, got it right, whatever's in your spirit or heart, whatever you need to communicate, guys, please reach out to us over on Twitter at Access for Podcast, where we would be more than happy to both hand you the mic and make Make sure that you guys hold that mic for the rest of this story. So guys, I want to thank you so much for being part of this. And don't forget to reach out if you want to know more.